Matthew chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Repent. Repent. Old-fashioned word, isn't it? Repent. Hard word. Harsh word. I think that's the way most people see it, a judgmental word, a bony finger, you know, pointing at you saying, repent. We don't even use that word much. But I'd like to talk about it today as we are considering the love of God. I'd like to spend a few weeks thinking about the love of God, and it seems strange to think of that harsh word in the context of God's love. We saw last time in 1 John, the fourth chapter, that God is love. So here in the text read in Matthew 4, why does Jesus, who is God incarnate, begin his ministry with this very harsh word? What does repentance have to do with love? Do the two even go together? So I'd like to think about it, and here's the plan. We're going to think about repentance as a hard word. But then think about repentance as a loving word, and finally think about repentance as a healing word. So Jesus began his ministry, as Matthew records, with this word, repent. It's the very first word in the very first sermon of Jesus, as recorded in the first three Gospels. Repent, he says. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, at the end of his ministry, Jesus said, The prophet said this would characterize the Messiah's ministry now and through the church age. Here's what it says, Luke 24, verse 46 and on. It says, it is written, Jesus is speaking, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Christ's name to all nations. Repentance is at the heart of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to this day. Remember the context of this text that was read, Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist in the third chapter of Matthew. John proclaimed, as we read the other Gospels, that this was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then he was, Jesus was led off into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And then he comes back and he begins his ministry. And the first thing he says is, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand, means it's close, it's within reach. It's not talking about a place here. It's not saying the kingdom of heaven is just over that river. It's not even talking about the kingdom of heaven is up there. It's saying that the kingdom of heaven is near because the king is near. You see, it's talking about the reign of the king, the rule of the king. And because the king, the true king is here, the kingdom of heaven is near. But it is still a harsh word, isn't it? 
I don't think we use it safely anyway with any of our friends or even with our children. Why does the God of love begin with this word? In fact, it's so old-fashioned that we laugh at it. I mean, from time to time you see these cartoons of a raggedy old man, you know, with long hair, long beard, holding a sign that says, the end is near, repent. And everybody smiles. In fact, to us, it conjures up the image of some self-righteous hypocrite who doesn't see her own sins, but is anxious to point to other people's sins. Maybe that makes her feel better. It's something harsh. It's like getting an email all in caps. Someone's yelling at you. You don't like it. Repent, it says. We would say this is the opposite of love. And by we, I mean our culture, our neighbors, what we see in the media, what we see in songs, what we read in books on love, what we see in books which encourage us in relationships. They would say love is affirming and love is supportive. Love is freeing. Love would say, no, 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 don't mind me. Whatever makes you happy is fine with me. Love would say, if you're happy, I'm happy. More than anything else, love would say, more than anything else, I want to support you in whatever path you choose. Now, those are words of love in our day and age. Not, repent. Why would the God of love say a word like that? So if we look at that word, Some of you maybe have heard many teachings and preachings on that word. If we break it apart, it's got two words put together, which maybe we could literally translate as change of mind. So repentance does mean change of mind, but it's more than that. Jesus was pointing to not just changing your mind. He wasn't even just pointing to feeling sorry for wrongs that have been done, which are a part of repentance. But he was talking about turning around. He was talking about turning around and walking on a different path. In fact, it was defined by John the Baptist in the previous chapter. Chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Here's true repentance when you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, a new lifestyle. So it's change, it's turn around. And now it's follow me because I'm the true king. That's what repentance means. And lives are changed. If you look at the text that was read immediately after Jesus' declaration in verse 17, you see that sometimes it doesn't quite fit the pattern that we have of repentance, you know, of some dark, evil, sinful man or woman who then changes and is transformed into some glorious creature. Look what it says. Now, as Jesus was walking, this is verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They weren't doing anything sinful. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on, he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, I'm summarizing. They were with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. Nice work. Hard labor. This was the family business and they were involved in it. Nothing sinful. But he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. They were not doing what we would call something sinful. So Jesus is not necessarily saying, quit sinning, stop that. But the key is that he's calling them to follow him. And for them, at that point, in that 
calling of Jesus on their lives, these disciples' lives, it meant leaving their careers, leaving their family, leaving their business. The main thing was following Jesus. If you look a few chapters on in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, around verse 9, you'll see that there's the call of Matthew. Now, that fits the pattern a little more clearly. Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors were seen as unpatriotic. They were seen as sellouts because they were collecting taxes for the invading, conquering nation of Rome. And as they collected taxes to pass on to the Romans, they would always collect a little bit of extra to keep for themselves. So they were extortioners. They were greedy. They were money-hungry people. And in Matthew 9, Jesus goes to Matthew and says, follow me. And he left all that. He left the money, the security of a good financial bank, you might say, bank account, and he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, in that case, it's leaving behind a sinful life. But in both cases, in all cases, the real call is to turn around whatever you're doing and begin to follow Jesus. Follow me. It's not how we're taught to see love. To say, follow me. Do something different. But I do want you to notice and to emphasize again that Jesus in his proclamation was not just saying, repent. He didn't say, quit that, stop doing that. Don't have any fun. He wasn't doing that. But it said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was inviting them to taste and see something wonderful for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that means something wonderful is dawning and unless you turn around you won't see it if you keep going in the same direction you won't be a part of it this last friday i was up early and i saw actually just as the sun was peeking up over the horizon on the east i saw on the west this brilliant double rainbow because it was a little bit of sprinkle, a slight rain in the air. Maybe some of you saw that. It was gorgeous. If you were there, I would have said, look, look at the rainbow. No, 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 not to the east. I'm not pointing you to the dawn. No, not to the north, not to the south. Turn around, look to the west. That's where this beautiful rainbow is. And that's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. Repent, turn around, so that I can make you a part of this dawning kingdom. There's a parade coming and the king is marching at the head of this parade. Turn around. Listen to the music. Join the parade. So it's a harsh word, but as we look at it, we say it's not really harsh. And this is the second point that really repentance is a loving word. At first they seem like opposites. Maybe more because of our cultural conditioning than really thoughtful reflection on what the word repentance means. But repentance is a loving word, and repentance and love are really not opposites. Sometimes we see these ads. Have you seen these ads that ask you to buy genuine imitation pearls? Have you seen that? Well, which is it? Is it genuine or is it imitation? Can't be both. And so sometimes we talk about love and repentance. We say, well, which is it? Do you want me to repent or do you love me? Can't be both, we think. And yet, as we look at the Word of God, we see that repentance and love are integrally related. In fact, at the heart of true love is always repentance and a call to repentance. If someone you love is headed for disaster, you tell them to stop, 
turn around. If someone is driving on a road and they say, yeah, I'm going down Route 9, and you know that there's a bridge washed out down the road, and they're going to, if they keep driving, go over a chasm and into the river, of course you're going to stop them. Of course you're going to tell them to take a different road. It's a necessary part of loving them. If you don't warn them, you don't care about them. And so because Jesus loves us, you'll see as you read the Gospels, over and over he warns us about false loves. He warns us about being distracted, taken away from the path that he puts us on. So he says, don't love money. Don't love titles and honor. Don't love proving yourself to be more righteous than other people. And he does this because of his love. He's warning us. Turn away from those pursuits and follow me because the kingdom of heaven is dawning. The poet John Donne, writing in the 17th century, said, Lord, alas, if thou carest not whom I love, thou lovest not me. Think about that. If, Lord, if you don't care whom I love, alas, thou lovest not me. Love cares. Love warns. So love always has as part of it, a call to repent. But the other side of the coin is true also, isn't it? That if we love somebody, then we're willing to repent to follow them. It's necessary. I mean, if something is keeping a wife away from her husband or a husband away from his wife, he has to turn away. It's kind of interesting to me, by the way, that, you know, for example, husbands, I could pick on wives, but husbands have had different distractions in different ages. But lately I'm finding for young husbands, video games are a tremendous challenge. For me, it was soccer. Oh man, what a challenge it was to give up that stupid game, you know. But for young men, I'm finding video games. But if a man loves his wife and his children and his family, he has to turn from that pursuit and pursue them. It's a necessary part of love, isn't it? Repentance is an integral part of true love, and we see it illustrated by Jesus in many places. One of the most remarkable places that Jesus illustrates this is in some stories he told recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. And these are stories about a deep, longing, searching love, pictures of God's love for us. And what's amazing is that integrally tied into this love is the concept of repentance. The first of those stories is in verse 2 of Luke 15. It's a very familiar story of the lost sheep. You've heard that story. I think you know it. I thought rather than tell you or rehearse that story to you in my own words, I would rehearse that story in the words of a poet, Elizabeth Clefane, a Scottish poet writing towards the beginning of the 19th century. So let me just have you listen to her words as she describes the plight of a sheep, and the love of the Savior. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the flock. But one was out on the hills away, far off in the cold and dark, away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, This of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night which the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. 
Out in the bleak desert, he heard its cry, all bleeding and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. And all through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. That's the poet's rendering of a lovely story told by Jesus. And here's how the Lord Jesus summarized the story. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. It's a strange mixture. Here's a story about love, a searching love, costly love and repentance. And here's a story about joy and repentance. See how those two words are intertwined. Our culture is wrong. Those who think repentance is a harsh or ugly word are wrong. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I think you've experienced this strange mixture yourself. I'm sure you have in small ways or in big ways. Someone you love is wasting their life. And you're sad and you're heartbroken. Or someone you love is surrounded by friends who are leading them on a destructive path. And you're praying and you're longing and you're talking and you're pleading and nothing happens. And then there's a change. This one that you love turns around, comes back to your love, comes back home. Relationships are restored. What do you have? You have tears of joy. There's more joy in your home then over one sinner who repents than all the wonderful kids who are still at home. You know that. You know that. So what it's saying is that God's love is not lazy. He doesn't just take the easy way out and say, well, the sheep got out, he wandered away, that's what he wants, he can have it. I have to tell a story on myself. We have a little dog, and anytime the door is open, he bolts, and he runs, and he goes down the road. I don't know where he thinks he's going, you know, some dog paradise at the end of the road, but he runs and runs and runs, and we have to go hunting for him, and it's irritating. More than once I've told Jill, you know what, if he's so anxious to be rid of us, let him go. Who cares? Let him go. See if he finds happiness down the road. But of course, we never do. You know, we always have to go hunting and bring him back. But that would be the easy way out in some ways. But God never takes that easy way out. See, that's what the story of Jesus is saying. He doesn't say, well, if that's what he wants, it's his life. Big deal. He never says that. He doesn't say, I love her so much. I just want her to be happy. And whatever she thinks will make her happy, that's fine with me. He never says that. That's the easy way out. But if someone we love is headed for destruction, love calls for repentance. Love waits for repentance. Love prays for repentance. Love labors for repentance. And that's the love of God. See, that's the story that Jesus told. Repentance and love are intertwined. You cannot separate them. So yeah, at first, repentance seems like a harsh word. 
As you look at it, you see it's really a loving word. And then, most importantly for us, friends, it's a healing word. Repentance is God's way of bringing health to our body, mind, and spirit. Jesus said that was his mission. Let me have him speak. This is Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Again, he's addressing the Pharisees. So often, that's his audience when he is trying to explain what he is up to and what God's love is up to. Luke 5, 31 and 32, it says, And Jesus answered the Pharisees, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, think about the image. A physician is healing, and what's his treatment? His treatment is repentance. Those who are sick, which is spiritually sick, those who are sinners, have need of a physician. And how does the physician treat them? He calls them to repentance. That's the way to spiritual life-giving health, which flows into health in every part of our life, every relationship, our emotions, as well as our mind. If we love someone, we want them to be better. We want to lift them up out of the ditch. I know I've met many people who were deceived by someone else, abused by someone else. You want to take them out of that situation. I've met people, especially I'm thinking of an elderly woman whose money was being siphoned off by a dishonest financial advisor, of course you'd warn her. If someone's health is being sacrificed because there's some charlatan offering fake medicine, of course you'd warn them. Turn around. Don't take that. Change. Please listen to me. There's something better. That's what the great physician does to us. Repent. Find life in me. So the Christian life begins, really we would say eternal life, begins with repentance. That's what Jesus came to call us to do. Sometimes we think repentance is just mental assent. Like, yep, I believe the creeds. I can sign the statement of faith. Sometimes we think it's just an emotional experience. And, you know, the Holy Spirit does do amazing things in our heart. And it includes all those things, but it's a change of life. It's a new lifestyle lived in the light of the kingdom of heaven. We change. We're not the same. And I think part of our problem as Christians and as a Christian church is, is that we don't think about and we don't live out the changes of this kingdom. We aren't really repentant. If you want to get a picture of this, look at Ephesians 4 beginning sort of at the second half into Ephesians 5. I'll just summarize. Ephesians 5a talks about this change that takes place. It says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What does it mean to walk as children of light? Do we walk as children of light, brothers and sisters? Well, if you look at the previous chapter, there's many examples of the transformation that it's taken place. People have changed Here's one who was so comfortable with lying that he didn't even know when he did it. He had no regrets about bending the truth when it was for his good, when it made him look good. And after a while, lying came so easily that he was lying even to himself. But then he repented, began to follow Jesus, and now he loves the truth. And then as you keep reading in Ephesians 4, verse 25, talks about 
one who was angry over all the hurts either were real or imagined against her. She was chewing that bitter cud of insults she had suffered over and over again. Bitterness growing, anger growing in her. But then she repented. She began to follow Christ. And now the Spirit of God has given her this amazing self-control over her emotions. And she's now has a view to see how Satan is taking advantage of her because of this anger that's seething in her. And she begins to make a commitment to God to resolve it and not walk on that path anymore. And then as you keep reading in Ephesians 4, you see there's one who stole. He was greedy. He thought anything he wanted, he had a right to, and he would just take it. He was a thief. But then he repented. And now he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll see what happens. What does he do? Well, it says he works hard now. Why? To pay his bills? Yeah, to pay his bills. But even more, it says, so that he can be generous and give to others. Isn't that amazing? He was greedy, grasping. Now he's generous, wants to bless others. It's a transformation. And then as you keep reading in Ephesians 4, you come to one who used his words like weapons, cutting down people, loving to gossip and include other people in destroying people, unaware of the destructive effect of his own words. But now it says his words, since he's repented, are focused. They're lovely. They're gracious. They're life-giving. Because now he's following the King of Kings. There's a transformation. And I have to ask, have you seen this transformation beginning to take place in your own lives? Because I'm afraid for many of us, We've had a coming to faith in Christ, but not a repentance. And we have forgotten that was the first word that Jesus said. Turn so that you can follow me. But there's another, I think, issue that we as Christians have to deal with. That, yes, this is experiencing life in Christ begins with repentance, but we are mistaken if we think it's a one-time deal. Yeah, you know, I came to faith X years ago. I think I repented. I gave up X, Y, Z. I don't do that anymore. And now I'm done. That's not what it is. I think that's why we are not experiencing healing and joy and freedom and peace in our lives because we don't see repentance and the way it works, all the things associated with repentance at work in our own hearts. I'll give you a few examples. And you can, as you read Scripture, see how this is throughout Scriptures. For example, confession has to be a regular part of our lives. We are told to focus on our physical healing and on our emotional healing. I think that's a good thing. Nothing against healing of any kind. But we forget the deep spiritual healing and how it bears a bitter fruit in all of our lives. So here's what the psalmist said. I read this at the beginning of the service. Psalm 32, this is verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent... When I didn't confess, in other words, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then, as I read earlier, verse 5, he confesses his sins and he finds forgiveness from the God of mercy. Confession. Humility. So contrary to our world where we're told we should be confident. Don't ever let anybody see your weakness because they'll take advantage of you. Don't ever admit that you were wrong. 
But here's what James says in the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 9 and on. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. The world says, lift yourself up. Build yourself up. Pad that resume. And the Bible says, humble yourself and God will exalt you. And then examining our lives. Many places in Scripture we're told that. Especially, I think, the parts that we're most confident about. Well, I'm, I've got that down. That's probably the part where we have to begin to examine ourselves. Because our nature is to forget that. And secondly, our nature is to focus on the faults of others. Especially those who have hurt us in any way. But Scripture says, examine yourself. Especially appropriate on this, our communion Sunday. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul was reminding the Corinthians about the words of institution of the communion meal, he said this, 1 Corinthians 11, 28, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he warns that that's what frees us from the judgment of God. That's what gives us a free heart. That's what gives us liberty to be in the presence of God and celebrate the communion meal. So what I'm saying is that this is an attitude of the Christian it's a call of God even to those in his own church. So when you look at, for example, Revelations chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus, Christians at Ephesus. Beginning at verse 4, he says in Revelations chapter 2, you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Repent. The God of love continually calls us to come into the kingdom, to join the parade, to follow the king. The very first word of God incarnate, God who is love, the very first word was repent. The very first word in the very first sermon preached in the church in Acts chapter 2 by Peter was repent. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. It's at the heart of God's love for you and me. It's a part of true love. So Jesus is saying to us and to all those who are listening, turn and taste true life and true love in him. Because all is forgiven. All is forgiven. You started living forever today. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for this word. This word that has some sharp edges, but... A word we know, Lord, is full of love and has the purpose of blessing us, of lifting us up, giving us health and strength in you. We want to live lives, Lord, that shine with your glory. We want to be different. So we pray for ourselves and we pray for those who are listening. We pray for your church all through the world, Lord, that we as Christians would follow you, follow your kingdom, and that the way we live would draw attention to the glory of who you are, the true King. In your name we pray it. Amen. First, it seems uh, so hard when the Lord asks you to change. He points to something in your life regarding your relationship with Him or your marriage or your family or your friendships. Hebrews chapter 12, in fact, says that you may actually feel depressed and downcast at first, these words seem so hard. But then he says, you begin to realize this is the Lord of love 
who is speaking to you. So that's my blessing. May, may the Lord lift up your drooping spirits. May the Lord put you on a righteous path. And may the Lord heal you, give health to your mind, body, and spirit. Amen.